Welcome to the American Revolutionary War episode. A little note before we get into this episode, this one is entirely about the American Revolutionary War. I will only be talking about the battles and the pre-battle events. The essential documents that were created during the time of war will be in a future episode. Welcome to History Talks with History Buff 1836, a podcast about the presidents of the United States of America. A look inside to what happened in America during their presidency. Here is your host, History Buff 1836. First, I want to go over some vocabulary that will help you. Patriots are the colonists that support the cause for independence. They do not like being ruled by Britain. Loyalists. They are the colonists that are loyal to the British power. They do not support the cause for independence. Allies are other countries, friends with country at war. They agree to help them out in their cause for war. Most of the time, it is to help their own country out because they will benefit from it. Now let's talk about the sections of colonies. New England is the northernmost colonies. The colonies that make it up are New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut. The economy was very dependent on the ocean with fishing and whaling. Mid-Atlantic, our middle colonies, are the colonies in the middle of the 13 colonies that make up the region up are New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. Their economy is part of agriculture for grains and crops. But they also had lodging, they, you know, picking on trees and shipbuilding. Blacksmiths also resided in the middle colonies. The southern colonies were the southernmost colonies. They were Maryland, Virginia, North and South Carolina, and Georgia. They were the most farming hub of the colonies, growing rice, tobacco, indigo, sugar cane. And those grew on extensive old plantations where slaves and indentured servants, servants worked. The difference between slavery and indentured servants is slavery was forced into, you cannot get out. With indentured servants, once you work enough to pay off your debts, you are able to be free, but most indentured servants were too poor to be on their own and stayed with the property manager that they had debt to to get them to the new land. Now that we know a little bit about uh, the vocabulary used in this episode, let's get to know both sides. On the colony side, they had two organizations, the Continental Army and the State Militias who volunteered to help the, help the cause for independence, having 231,771 men in the National Army and then 164,087 men in the militias, totaling about 20,000 in 1781, having majority farmers enlisting. They also had a rough time getting people to join. The British, on the other hand, had 42,000 in the army at the start, but with the war about to pick up soon, a heavy recruitment campaign went underway with fines and imprisonment if you did not join. They had many joining and escaping the penalties or imprisonment. The journals on both sides kind of lacked imagination and initiative. They lacked some big time from not being on their home turf. Both had no formal training, relying on books of military tactics. Both sides also tried to recruit Native Americans to help them out in the war. The British were um, way more successful with getting the Native Americans to join with them because they had already had a better relationship with some of the tribe leadership. So who joined who? Equally. Had split on most of the Mohawks. Onagas, Cayuga, and Senecas. Led by Mohawk Joseph Brandt and Seneca Old Smoke, and the Cherokees joined the British side. Now, the Cherokees only joined to try to drive uh, the colonists off their land that they took. 
while the Onegas and uh, Tuscaroras supporting the Patriots. The Native Americans in the New England attempted to stay neutral, but some helped the Patriots' cause. Both sides claimed that the Native Americans allied to them. However, the Native Americans joined out of spite to protect themselves and the land they had been living on. The British also relied on the soldiers from German state Hesse Cassel, known as Hesseans, the loyalists to help them out. By early 1776, Britain had worked out treaties with Brunswick, Hesse Cassel, Hesse Hanu, Hesse Cassel. All German forces were known as Hesseans. 29,166 German allies served over in North America. Most of the troops were organized in a traditional continental style. They had a bunch of independent units. This had caused problems for Britain because they were not disciplined and their public relations sucked. They would destroy farms and houses without being instructed. Now the French got involved later, and we'll talk about more about that later at the French lost the French and Indian War of the Seven Years' War. The entire military went through a period of change where everything was revamped. Things were added like summer camps. The organization changed. There were uh, only two ballotsons, and each ballotson had one gear, one chaser, and one fullacer company. In 1778, 200,000 men were in the French army. Now that we know a little bit more about both sides of the war, let's review quickly why we are fighting a war, why we are declaring independence from Britain. The first significant cause was taxation without representation in Parliament, the British version of Congress. Then the Boston Massacre, following the Boston Massacre, was a series of tax acts called the Intolerable Acts. But this is not what we're talking about in this episode. If you want more of it, go listen to the past two episodes of Season 4. In those, we discussed America's discovery and how the colonists started to get angry with the British government. So first, Battle of Lexington and Concord. Those were not long battles, but they were significant because on April 4th, 14th through 19th, 1775, the British Army in Boston that had been stationed there before Boston Massacre had received orders from General Thomas Gage, go to the forts and destroy and seize the military supplies in that town, then go to Concord. But not everything went according to plan for the British. Some of the colonists heard of their plans and saw some more redcoats coming in by boats. They took off on horseback to warn the Minutemen. They were Paul Rivera and William Dawes, but it didn't happen the way you think it did. Samuel Adams and John Hancock were able to escape from Lexington, but the British were able to destroy their supplies in Concord. As the British were heading back to Boston, the Minutemen fired heavily at the British. The British faced heavy casualties. The Battle at Lexington happened on the 18th. After the warning, 70 Minutemen lined up at the square, but... They were severely outnumbered. Before firing began, both sides were told not to shoot, and no one knows who fired the first shot. And this shot was heard around the world. But the colonists had slowly backed up while trying to keep up with the firing from the British. The British were also hitting them with their bayonets. Bayonets are sword-like instruments at the end of the gun. In the end, eight were killed and ten were wounded. At Lexington, the British were the ones outnumbered. And they were also running low on ammunition, so they had to leave back to Boston. On the way back to Boston, American snipers took a deathly toll on the British Army. During the ambush, on the way to Boston, reinforcements came to get them to Boston slavery. This turned a colonial rebellion that the king thought would have been easy to destroy and seize military supplies, and it would be over quickly into a full-blown war. The death toll from these two battles were 273 British and 95 Americans. America got the victory in this battle, but it wasn't a huge, significant victory. 
they would end up going through a series of losses, but things took a turn around the middle of the war. After Lexington and Concord ended, the British officials knew their hopes of ending the colonial rebellion quickly without a whole lot of fighting. This was not a rebellion anymore. It was a full-blown war, like I said before. British generals Sir William Howe and Sir Henry Clinton and John Burgundy were all dispatched along with reinforcements and Charles Cornwallis. Sometimes these generals would break off with their forces to get better to better their coverage with the widespread colonial militias. Many tiny and minor battles were fought during the war that we will not touch on. These generals were the core of the British power in the colonies. Simultaneously, the militaries were somewhat of a stalemate in marching to the following locations of fighting. The Continental Congress was busy at work approving a few acts related to raising more troops for the war and naming a chief commander. They voted on George Washington, who refused at first, but after negotiations, he accepted the position without pay. The British generals needed to drive the colonists from the, from the height in Charleston. The colonists revoked. Thus, the Battle of Bunker Hill started. Bunker Hill took place at Breed's Hill, the lower hills that overlooked Boston. On Saturday, June 17th, the Patriots' militias engaged with the British forces for the war's first significant battle. American Colonel William Prescott and around a thousand men were at the hill. The American forces' defensive were from their fort on Breed's Hill down to the Mystic River. There will probably be maps up on my Instagram and Facebook pages, and those will be in the show notes below. On the British side, the British had sent down forces of 2,000 men under General Howe's control. British troops marched with several yards of the American lines when the, when the heavy firing started on both sides after the first attack ended. Nothing happened between the first and second attacks. Probably enough time to get enough um, more supplies and men in the lines. Militia riflemen forced the British to retreat a second time. House troops were unable to break the American defensives. Reinforcements were called, and when a third attack was called, ammunition was running low on both sides. Colonel Prescott told his fellow American troops to save the firing until the last second, until they saw the whites of the British troops' eyes. The strategy was a good one, but not effective as they were drawing from the last bit of ammo and were panicking about what to do. They were forced to retreat. The British got the victory in this battle, but it was a fair victory. A victory with a devastating toll on the victor. Statistically speaking, the 2,500 British troops, they lost 228 soldiers, and 800 were wounded. On the American side, 100 were killed, and 270, 270 others were injured. All these numbers are estimated along with other numbers I talk about in this episode. After the battle ended, the British remained in Boston for the remainder of the year. Sir William Howe replaced General Gage in October 1775. After the war was over, there was a nine-month stalemate in around Boston. During the impasse, American officials sent over the Olive Branch Petition, and this was an attempt to negotiate peace terms with the rebellious colonies. Once the Olive Branch Petition reached the king, he refused to look at it and openly called them enemies. Even though their stalemate was going on, there was war up north. The colonists further advanced the American border. Fighting was in Canada now, with a small battle at Montreal and then in Quebec. The action in the north started to flare up, and the fall of 1775 lasted the remainder of the year. This was the last military campaign for the year. Americans had invaded Canada with a new army in a, under new control. In June, the army was created when the Continental Congress created the unique and separate army with orders to attack Canada and forces in New England under Bernadette Arnold's control. 
The newly created one was under the control of Major General Philip Schuyler and his deputy Montgomery. Montgomery's plans to capture Montreal on the way to Quebec was a very much success. Quebec, however, proved to be a much more challenging task. Bernard Arnold forces joined in Quebec through Maine. However, Bernadette and his team underestimated the hardship and trouble it would be crossing through Maine's landforms. They arrived in Quebec in December, all burnt out and starving. They were at a disadvantage when the plan had started, since they were already running low on energy and food. General Montgomery was killed and Arnold was heavily wounded, along with the capturing of around 100 troops. The remainder of the Americans went, went back to Ticandra. The Americans suffered another defeat in Canada after winning Montreal, along with their goal of capturing Quebec, failing their plan for getting France on board was a loss. But France isn't entirely off the table yet. There would make another round of heavy negotiations with France to get them on board, helping with the colonists' cause. By now, they know the idea of independence from Britain was going to be way much more challenging and more work and more and take longer than they first thought. After Quebec, most of the things that took place were not battles until June 28, when American forces defeated the British Navy at Fort Moultrie, British Navy at Fort Moultrie in South Carolina. A lot of movement and colonists fought through work. Words in which we are not going to. On January 15th, Thomas Paine wrote Common Sense, a pamphlet published in the newspapers trying to support the independence movement. More on that in a later episode. Before the Battle of Long Island, on June 12th, Virginia created the Vir- Virginia Declaration of Rights, a declaration that had rights they believed they should have and that the king was oppressing them. And then on July 4th, Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence, declaring themselves free from Britain. If they failed at war, all these signers would be charged with treason and hanged. But more on that in the next couple of episodes. Back to the war. The next major battle is the Battle of Long Island. When Britain tried to take control of New York, it played out in their favor. Spoiler alert, they won. On July 2, 1776, the same day Congress voted for independence against Britain, a giant army of Britain redcoats came ashore onto Staten Island. This is across from New York City's major harbor, Manhattan. By the beginning of August 1776, two-thirds of the entire British army were camped out in Staten Island. General William Howe, his brother Admiral Richard Howe, met with patriot leaders to negotiate a settlement of revolution. London's orders were to make peace if possible and wage war if peace was not a question. And, as you are probably aware, the negotiations did not work out. On August 22, 1776, a British fleet of 427 ships carrying over over 32,000 troops and roughly 8,000 higher German soldiers started to land on Long Island. While the British landed, George Washington had to move his forces to defensive positions around in New York, and this is to be able to leave around February 1776. Washington was struggling with raising a strong enough army that could beat British's army. During the winter and spring, he was able to raise about 19,000 properly trained men for his army. He was short on the naval side of things because he couldn't get any warships out there to protect New York's waterways. And the whole reason British the whole reason Britain won at New York was because of the waterways they had. Control the waterways, they could. They managed it then. America was not getting any supplies through New York. John Adams said New York was the key to the continent. Here's what happened. How the American army was defeated at the Battle of Long Island. The British charged the American defenders with the bayonet-tipped muskets, and officers panicked over the following weeks of fighting. The Americans gave steadily ground... 
With a somewhat timely rainstorm, the retreating Americans could cross the harbor from Brooklyn to Manhattan on August 29th. If Howe moved his army more quickly than he did, he could have trapped Washington's men and could have ended the Revolutionary War. But the British army was resting while the Americans were moving out over the harbor. To, they crossed the Hudson River and turned toward New Jersey and over the Delaware River into eastern Pennsylvania. On the way, thousands were captured during the New York's campaign, and hundreds deserted the military. New York City became the headquarters of the Royal Navy and Army. By the end of 1776, American Revolution had almost collapsed. Thomas Paine wrote Common Sense at the beginning of the year. Now he wrote The American Crisis, which boosted the morale of the Patriots with the defeat in New York. Congress made many changes, giving George Washington more powers to strengthen the Army, the war effort. After they left New York, both sides moved into winter quarters. Britain did not think George Washington was ready to give up for the winter, but he had some more plans up his sleeve for some secret ambushes on Christmas Day, 1776. Washington led his generals and about 2,400 men across the icy Delaware River and into New Jersey, near dawn at Trenton and Trenton. The Americans surprised the 1,500 slipping Hussains, attacking them from three sides, which became known as the Battle of Trenton. They killed 1,000 Hussains, just two of Washington's men were killed. Following the victory at Trenton, Washington and his men crossed the Delaware again, and another battle took place, this time at Princeton, New Jersey, before finally taking up winter quarters, winter quarters at Morristown. The winter at Morristown was record cold, but we are going to talk about the winter and the spring when, we, when the battles picked up after the break. One soldier recalled this about the starvation that went on. We are literally starved. I saw several of the men roast their old shoes and eat them. End quote. Disease also ran rapid in the winter quarters. Washington viewed smallpox as the sword of the enemy. On any given day, one-fourth of the army would be unfit for duty, mainly because of smallpox. Things were getting pretty bad that Washington ordered an inoculation, which is basically like herd immunity. They kept this away from the British. Washington's plan played off. 1,000 patriots stayed, and more and more came on board. As Congress was giving out $20 bounties and 100 acres of land if they enlisted for three years or more. Washington was able to get in total 9,000 regular troops. By this time, spring is in the air and the battles are picking up again. And these, those victories of Trenton and Princeton say the course for independence. And a new wave of Americans signed up to serve after this General Howe was supposed to move his army up from the Hudson into New York, but he decided to move his men south into Philadelphia. Washington withdrew his men from New Jersey to meet the threats in Pennsylvania on September 11, 1777, at Brandywire, southwest Philadelphia. The British outnumbered Washington's army and occupied Philadelphia. The members of the Continental Congress left the city. Washington withdrew to Valley Forge. In New York, there's still some fighting going on. The British army marched themselves into a trap in June. The overly confident General General John Burgundy led his 7,000 troops south to Lake Champlain in New York from Canada. Now General Gates oversaw the American army 
August 6, 1777, the Patriots fought back against an ambush from their loyalists with the British's help, along with Patriot reinforcements to arrive at Fort Stanwix. The Iroquois tribe, who was helping with loyalists, deserted the British army, forcing them to withdraw to the Mohawk Valley, running across New York, which is secured by the Patriots. Now, the next Mullish battle around the same time is being fought out at Mount Vernon, but during the Battle of Bingington was under control of General Burgundy, pulled his forces back to the village of Saratoga. This is where we have the three-week-long three battle. General Gates and his army surrounded the British, cutting off their supply lines. The British fell twice to break through the American army. General Burgundy surrendered on October 1777, turned over 5,800 troops, 7,000 muskets, and 42 cannon targets. Saratoga was known for the turning point of the war. Before this, it was thought that British would win, but now the Patriots might actually have a chance to win this thing. And this is where France finally gets involved. So under the Treaty of Immunity and Commerce, France recognizes the United States as a new country and offers trading privileges with them. Under the Treaty of Alliance, France enters the war. Both countries would fight until independence is won. And secondly, neither sides would conclude a truce without both agreeing. Thirdly, each would guarantee the other's possessions. France would not seek out other land in North America. The French army and navy helped out so much they determined the outcome of the war. And this is not all the legal proceedings that went on after the end of Saratoga. The British tried to end the war with the news of the American colonies' alliances with France granting the demands of Americans. But Congress would not negotiate anything until Great Britain recognizes America as independent. King George refused and war was back on. The winter at Valley Forge from 1777 to 1778 was a rough time, and 7,000 soldiers decided to resign. On the same day, by March 1778, the strength was restored, and Washington began trading with French generals. In 1778, British forces withdrew from Pennsylvania to New York, Americans only falling behind. Once British was in Manhattan, the Americans settled down in White Plains, where a week-long stalemate went on. But that was not ultimately st uh, stopping there. There was still some fighting going on over at West, where a lot of fighting went on with the Native Americans. Loyalists and Native Americans went against the isolated patriots, who were unable to get as much help. British did not order the, order the loyalists and Native Americans, but did urge them to raid the farms out there and offer to pay bounties for the Americans, basically paying them if they could capture the Americans. In 1778, George Clark took 175 Patriots. After that, Clark took the Patriot stoops to attack British garrisons and was unable to capture five um, was was and was able to capture five Native Americans that had their army. While Clark was doing that, another member moved against Iroquois in western New York, where hundreds of patriots were killed. Washington sent 4,000 troops to crush the tribes. That 4,000 group under civilian's control destroyed 40 villages. More and more of this happened, which weakened the Native American control of the land. And yes, the Americans took that land. Now war was uh, going a little bit better in the south, where British launched a strategy for gaining control of the South to shrink the United States. On December, General Clinton sent 3,000 British soldiers to take Savannah, Georgia. 
and Savannah is a port city too, located in the southwest. It was a disaster there. Three American armies were defeated. Britain had control of Savannah and Charleston in South Carolina. 7,000 soldiers were either killed or wounded. War now fell into the Carolinas on May 12th. General Clinton surrenders, trusting, churning in 5,500 defenders, one of the most significant losses at the Patriot side soon after the Americans were again defeated in Campton, South Carolina. In the mid-1780s, a small band of Patriots based in the swamps and forests of South Carolina launched a series of hit-and-run raids. Almost 1,780 British commanders admitted South Carolina was in rebellion. Carolinas was a brutal battle, but sides turned to loot, burning down homes and crops. By October 7th, both sides clashed near Kings Mountain, and that is between the border of North and South Carolina. 700 loyalists were captured. This proved the British Southern Campaign ineffective, and that what and this is was where this was where a change of sides happened. The war after this British General Cornwallis was in trouble. The subsequent battle took place on January 17, 1781. Morgan's troops took positions near Cowpens. This was a trap for the British Army, and they fell for it. At the end, 110 British soldiers were killed, and 700 were taken prisoner. After Cowpens, Morgan's army made their way up to set North Carolina and linked up with Green's troops, where Lord Cornwallis' troops attacked Redcoats at Gully Fort Courthouse. Forge team. British back to Charleston and Savannah now. Let's get into Yorktown, which was the Last battle of the American Revolutionary War, Cornwallis' army joined up with Arnold at Burg, Virginia, totaling 7,200 men. The American army was fastly approaching. Cornwallis had picked Yorktown for the battle. Cornwallis was not worried one bit because Washington and his men were still busy dealing with Britain and New York. He did not consider that the French were readily available for backing up the Americans. In July 1780, the French had landed 6,000 soldiers at Newport, Rhode Island, with a blockade. In May 1781, the French-American action elements finally were in order. Cornwallis's army to move into Virginia, Washington. Virginia. Washington persuaded, persuaded the French army in Rhode Island to come and help him out in New York. However, word came across that Admiral Francis uh, Joseph Paul de Grasset was headed to Chesapeake Bay with 3,000 soldiers. So Washington had to change his strategy, heading to Yorktown. On August 30, Admiral de Grasse's 24 warships won the race to Yorktown. On September 6, Gracie was able to make the British blockade leave. They were leaving Cornwallis and his surrounding arm army having no way to get supplies into the front. The battle officially started on September 28, and both French and American troops closed off Cornwallis' last chance for escape. Also, they shot toward them with cannons. They held this up for multiple weeks until the British ran out of food and other necessary applies to continue to fight. On October 17, 1781, Cornwallis surrendered. However, the war was not over yet. Britain was still in control of New York, New York City, Charleston, and Savannah, and some of their blockades were even still there, including the troops. Lord North reacted to the news, Oh God, it's all over. On December 17, 1781, King George decided against sending more troops, signaling that he might be ready to end the war and negotiate peace. On October 27, 1782, Parliament voted to begin the negotiation process to end the war. Continental Congress heard this and named a group to send over to Paris to discuss terms. Among them were John Adams, John Jay, and Benjamin Franklin. Negotiations were a long process of going back and forth about what they wanted. 
On September 3, 1783, the Treaty of Paris was signed by both countries. In the treaty, Great Bend recognized the United States' independence, and the Mississippi River would be the new western border for them. Technically, they had that already, but with the proclamation of 1763, the colonists could not cross over the Appalachian Mountains, and the west of the Appalachian Mountains were Native American reserves. The treaty did not fail on one. Th the treaty did fail on one thing that was the north and south border going to be. This would be cause of many debates and fighting. The only thing now is to create a new government, and that's what we are going to be talking about the next episode. If you have any questions, please feel free to let me know in my in the comments or in my social media messages. Y'all have a great day. Peace. Thank you for listening in. If you are on Apple or Spotify, please rate us. And don't forget to follow us on social media and share this with your friends. History Talks with History Buff 1836 is produced in part by History Buff. See you next time. Have a great rest of your day.